Welcome to the Emergent Podcast. Uh, the guest today is Dr. Jay Polizzi. Thanks for coming yeah, on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. So lots been going on uh, with AI and healthcare lately, but you're kind of an OG in this. You've been doing uh, healthcare, I'll call it informatics, digitization, whatever uh, keyword we want to use for that. But you've been involved for like 20 years, at least a couple decades, as far as how uh, you know technology has impacted healthcare in various ways, you know. But have you ever seen it moving this fast? No, before? I have not. I think this is this is really unprecedented. Um, you know, back like you mentioned, 15, 20 years ago, we were in a time where we were sort of behind other industries in getting uh, technology, at least um, in the medical record space, uh, you know, to our providers and to help better care for patients. And that started the whole EHR trend, which you know, took a lot of years to get everybody up on mm -hmm. on those systems. And, you know, it wasn't until the government sort of mandated it through the Meaningful Use uh, Program uh, 15 or so years ago that it really took off. Uh, but it still took a lot of years to get people there. Um, and, you know, though the EHRs had a lot of benefits for patient care, it's also caused a lot of downstream problems and mm -hmm. you know operationally um it's it's caused a lot of um extra work in some in some respects for not only physicians but anybody that's interacting with with it and i think ai is one of those things that could really help alleviate some of that burden in our use um, of, of electronic health records so EHRs come along. Now you've got a lot of time you're spending in the hallway rather than with the patient. You've got to, uh, as the uh, provider, the nurse, the doctor, everybody's got to document all this stuff in a system that, you know, maybe it isn't an iPhone uh, level quality app type of thing. There's a lot of things to click on, a lot of things to find, a lot of drop downs, a lot of screens, uh, spending, and you know, it's kind of changed everybody's job, you know. It's you spend a lot of time, and uh, I guess that's what it means by you know sort of the difference between a clinical uh, usage of AI and then just an operational usage of AI. Operationally, with uh, EHRs, you know that changed everything. Maybe now this is uh, a, an opportunity to sort of fix that. Yeah, absolutely right. I think you know since the advent of EHRs, you know. We've been dealing with a lot of burnout as well. And, you know, EHR has been shown to be a significant contributor to that. There are a host of other things, um, but EHR certainly has, has been a contributing factor. Um, and you're right. I mean, your, your points earlier about the time spent you've to get the data into the system has become just, it, it has been unwieldy. It's been, a huge challenge. Most docs spend more time doing the data entry than seeing patients. It's taken a lot of joy out of the practice of medicine. And uh, I think AI is one of those things that can help potentially offload some of that burden, like you said, operationally, um, and perhaps bring some of that joy back. Um, clinicians are leaving 
the industry, the healthcare industry, unfortunately, in droves. Um, it's setting us up for a lot of shortages. It's making access for patients even worse than it is today. Um, so we need something um, to help with that burden. And I do think AI has the potential to, to solve some of those problems. We experimented with, there's a lot of, um, amp, they call them ambient uh, AI technologies that are helping to um, create my note, do some of that documentation uh, for us, just as a, um, just by being in the room and listening to the conversation, summarizing that information, and then giving my note um, to review afterwards. Uh, so I don't have to sit there and click all the boxes and check all the, uh, or check all the buttons and click all the boxes. Is there any pushback to adopting that kind of ambient technology or is it so, is the, is it the better of two, lesser of two evils where at least at this point, I don't have to uh, spend the same amount of time clicking on these. Yeah. Boxes. Great question. You know, it's just funny how, I, you know, now my, you know, the doctors that I, I deal with, you know, they used to write on their pad and they used to talk, you know, they're, they come in with a cow now and they're just, it's a laptop. And it's like, I can't believe how fast they can right. type now. It's like, you didn't even know how to type 20 years ago. Now, now they're like, uh, you know, speed demons, hundred word a minute on it, but it's a, it's totally changed it. Would, are, is there pushback? For, for that kind of technology? You know, I think it depends on, I think it depends on the person. I think to your point, some, some docs have become pretty adept at using the EHR. And so they don't want to necessarily deal with yet another piece of technology. I think there's some skepticism just given their, their history with the EHR. But for a lot of folks, when they actually use it uh, and get to that point where it's actually bringing more value to them uh, and it's not you know seen as another thing to do or is not adding more work uh, then they're really uh, leveraging that and um, and getting back some time and per and hopefully you know enjoying uh, medicine again so they don't have you know when they're not dealing with all that quit hurt. yeah go become a farmer yeah. somewhere so you know, is there is there a way for there to be a greenfield solution for that, where you don't necessarily have to, uh, you know, maybe you can connect to the EHR through the protocols, but you've got something that is uh, um, easily adopted, as opposed to going through, you know, the, the crazy Byzantine way of of trying to get something approved or through some of the big vendors or stuff like that. Is there a way? You know, because speed, you know, the AI is moving is moving incredibly fast. It's not typical, and it probably is a good thing that medicine isn't necessarily known for its uh, speed of adoption and and quickly moving through uh, the adoption curve. But is there a way for just a greenfield project to get in there? Is there some low hanging fruit that you can do? Maybe it isn't, uh, you know, being part of the EHR. I can't imagine anybody wants to swap out an, e an EHR. That's, you know, yes, I've done that several times. Uh, there's a ton of vendor, ton of vendor lock in there as well. But is there a way to just have something that comes along that, uh, you know, maybe they don't have to look at the e EHR as much anymore. And it sort of just happens in the background. Is that a, is that a theoretical possibility? Not even theoretical. I mean, that is happening today. There are vendors that you could leverage today 
that sit outside of the EHR itself uh, and can do that work for you. Mm -hmm. um, the vendors, of course, at least your larger vendors are also working on it internally to have that, you know, inherent functionality within within their solution. But yeah, many of them are actually outside of the EHR already. Okay. And then what's the criteria that it takes for, say, a startup? There's a lot of people in this you know, audience that are, you know, startup oriented. What kind of criteria does it take to work on that kind of stuff? You know, if you're doing scheduling software, right, using AI for uh, slots, for example, say in a ambulatory surgical center or something like that, you know, what does it take to be taken seriously as a startup in that space? Yeah, you know, it's it's a great point. It's it's quite difficult, I think, for a lot of vendors, um, especially your smaller startups, to get a foothold into large healthcare organizations just because there are so many that, you know, so many out there. Um, and unless you have a foot in the door at a healthcare system, it can be often difficult to even test your technology or, you know, do a beta uh, or do a proof of concept even um, around your solution. Um, so there's, you know, there's started, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of uh, companies now that have been stood up. I'm involved with one of them that sort of partners with startups and healthcare systems to say, hey, this is a really novel okay. solution that this startup has. We think it would be of huge benefit. Is that something you would like to look at? So sort of getting through the. How's that work? That yeah, sounds really You know, there's, there's several of these. Um, sort of uh, incubator slash, you know, startup um, uh, facilitators that connect with, um, you know, have partners in industry, maybe healthcare, maybe other industries that will do some of the vetting, if you will, for the system yeah. uh, or for the organization ahead of time and just bring them some solutions that they may be interested in looking at. Okay, well, that sounds like what's necessary right there. So I know a lot of people who are outside of healthcare who are looking at how do we figure out how to take the solution that we have. We have a, a, a value proposition here. We know we can build this, but we really don't know how to tap into that. Is that the type of thing where, you know, you come to uh, some people that are, you know, doctors um, with the credentials and the experience and the background for it that can kind of say slap the 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 product into shape and bring it forth where they can then say, you know, we're talking about vetting, but there's more than just vetting the product. It's sort of like vetting the process, uh, preparing uh, for the whole entire lengthy process of how do you get this in and how do you meet the regulations? How do you meet the, the HIPAA requirements alone? Uh, you know, like, you know, there's a ton of startups out there. They have, they can barely yeah, spell right. HIPAA, right? You know, it's, it's actually kind of hard to spell HIPAA, but, uh, you know, if you can help with that, if that's part of the vetting process, but also part of the incubation process, there seems to be like there there should be a lot of yeah, that. and there is. I think you know, and that's one of the challenges I think healthcare, at least large healthcare organizations have is, you know, dealing with a lot of these startups. They may have a solution you're interested in, but it takes a lot of due diligence to make sure that they're, you know, they they're compliant with security measures and HIPAA, like you said, and um what they're doing with data and, you know, is that secure, um, et cetera, et cetera. So um, unfortunately, like you said, it, it leads to that 
that lag in the time that health, some healthcare organizations can adopt some of these technologies. Um, but especially the smaller players, I think, you know, when you have a relationship with a larger player or even your EHR vendor, then it be, you know, then I think the, um, the path to get somewhere shortens you know, significantly. Is there really much of a path though with the EHR vendors? Um, is there a bolt on uh, mechanism that, you know, it seems like if you did that, you know, they would easily maybe come along and, and sort of scoop it up, sort of like trying to, uh, you know, make a plug-in for uh, yeah. Microsoft or something, you know, and then the next thing you know, oof, they just decided to make it. Apple's famous for it. Um, are you seeing that there's a, you know, a reluctance to work with the uh, incumbent technology stacks? Yeah, you know, you bring up another good point. I think that depending on the vendor, you're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of these startups and a lot of these companies evolve because there is some missing piece of functionality within the EHR or the EHR isn't doing, performing that piece of functionality well. Uh, so you, you reach out to a, a vendor that um, can add to, you know, that functionality and do a better job. Uh, but then the EHR vendor is also evolving at the same time, right? So they do an upgrade and add new features and functionality that make that pain point less painful and maybe less of a need to have that third party. So it's a it's a constant balancing act of you know features and functionality and where you want to bolt on things or not depending on you know how how severe your uh, your issue is with whatever uh, functionalities you're dealing with. Right. Have you seen a difference recently? You know, this has been a big year for tech and for AI. I mean, uh, it's been a it's been a, a year that's been a long decade as far as I'm concerned. Um, have you seen a, a pickup in the pace of the purchasers for it? You know, the, the, the healthcare systems or the provider, not the providers, but the practitioners where they've decided, you know, maybe they're looking at it, uh, the procurement process slightly differently. Is that, has that changed at all? Do they think that they need to change that? You know, the, the vetting process and the due diligence is a lot of work. You know, they have a lot of responsibilities, both legally and ethically, on their part. How are they going about changing uh, the way to to do that due diligence? Or are they? Yeah, I, I, again, I think it depends on the organization. Some of the more progressive ones um, um, are definitely starting to talk about uh, and need to, if they're not, uh, how they're going to um, evolve and change and leverage some of these AI technologies, or they're going to be left behind very quickly. And it's going to be difficult to catch up, I think. Uh, at the same time, you know, you want to balance the safety of that. But like we talked about, I think there's a lot of low-hanging fruit, a lot of opportunity for some of these operational challenges that you could apply AI uh, solutions to and solve some of your solve some of your problems pretty quickly uh, to give you some, you know, quick wins, if you will, that gets people, that get people and get your organization excited about doing other things and get over some of that skepticism that we talked about earlier. Um, you know, if you can really show uh, how AI has helped certain aspects of, you know, the operational challenges at your organization, I think the, the, you know, you start knocking down some of these walls and some of these barriers. Um, but at the same time, 
you know, the I, I look at it in two camps. Honestly, you have sort of the operational side, like we've been talking a lot about the paperwork side, you know, the scheduling side, um, managing messages that you get through uh, from patients has become a huge burden to the to the point where some organizations are starting to charge for messages that come in through the patient portal. It's a small it is. Really? I've been tracking that a little bit. Um, it's a small percentage. You know, it's those ones that I think go back and forth several times and is involving some sort of clinical, you know, um, trying to get some clinical information. Uh, and you try to convert that to a visit when needed, but if you can't, um, there are a lot of your large healthcare systems are are going down that going down that path. Um, so how can a so that winds up being not considered an actual visit, therefore it's not billable to insurance. So you know the messaging back and forth that's happening is basically for free yes. at this point they're not really able Correct. to build that so they're they're doing it as a as a service but i imagine that's getting to be like a massive amount of communication and it you would think that that would be uh something that would be being addressed and maybe that those messages and those times around that are uh are billable but that's yeah, not it's, the case. well, it can be. I think it depends how you approach it, and I think that's what people are trying to figure mm -hmm. out now: is hey, we're we're get, we're doing a lot of this work and not getting much, you know, reimbursement for it, and it's also leading to even more and more, you know, uh, burden on on staff and on providers. So how do we how do we sort of flip that a little bit so we're able to. Um, you know, perhaps get some reimbursement for that from a payer. Um, we experimented a lot with what's called asynchronous telehealth back in the day to help with that. So if a patient was calling about a certain, um, you know, symptom that they may be dealing with, we would try to nudge them over to our asynchronous solution where they could answer a bunch of questions uh, about that condition. Mm -hmm. uh, a, so we could render a better diagnosis for them you know, and make sure we were treating the right thing and not just, you know, um, yeah, I have a cough. You know, a lot of patients call, they just want their antibiotic. Well, usually, most of the time, you don't need an antibiotic. It's a viral. It's going to go away on its own. So you try to educate, um, you know, and if things don't improve, then you typically want to have some sort of uh, interaction with them. So if we could push that to a system that allowed them to answer a series of questions that gave us uh, the opportunity to to render a better diagnosis. Then we could actually, you know, we could actually charge for that and get some get some reimbursement instead of just doing it mm -hmm. for you know, for free. For free, yeah, it's good for the patient. Um, what else, as far as on the clinical side, is there from the people who are making the decisions? Is the operational versus clinical? It seems like it's a whole different world, yes. right? There's a di whole different set of ethics. There's a whole different set of pushback. There's a whole different set of existential crisis. There's a whole different set of of motivations behind that. Uh, what's the co what's the contrast between operational motivation and and clinical uh, uh, solution type of motivation? And who's 
what's the who's into it now who's really not i think you know everyone is just trying to be super careful right with the clinical side of it Mm -hmm. the last thing we want is the ai to potentially come up with some diagnosis or give you some information that's faulty right and you acted on it so everything needs to sort of still have some human oversight and people are still figuring that out it hasn't been solved Though AI is being used in a lot of clinical situations, particularly in radiology, it's been used for years. Um, AI has the ability to perhaps see things that uh, a radiologist can't see. So it's used sort of as a second set of eyes, if you will, just to make sure we don't miss anything. It it helps augment your your work. Um, So everyone's being careful with, you know, or at least hopefully it's being very careful with the, with the clinical side of things. Uh, and there's some companies out there that are focusing just on that aspect of things. But I think there's, a, like we said, there's enough operational things. You know, the other thing is just where all your information lives. Frequently it's siloed or even it's living in the EHR, but so much of it is what we call unstructured, that the information just lives in a document. Right. And unless you go back through and read all those documents, you may miss important insights that AI, if we we could leverage to actually read all that information for us and perhaps surface mm-hmm. things that we were missing or we otherwise wouldn't have uh, made a connection with ourselves. And that becomes the question of where do you where does the uh, model live and where does it read those documents and where does that information go? Because obviously that's, uh, you know, it's not something you want to just upload into no. the cloud. You don't want to push a, a take, hey, we got a 400 million PDFs. So let's just run it through OpenAI's uh, API. That's definitely a thing that you want to have yes. on premise and local and, and put a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, security around. Um, not even, I mean, obviously because of HIPAA and things like that, but you certainly wouldn't want uh, people's healthcare information uh, in a public. No, no, uh, for sure. This would be. So that seems like, that seems like the problem to solve right there. That's a, you know, it's a pretty simple technical solution to read those documents, but that whole workflow of how you physically do it is, is I think uh, a great solution. Yeah. and, And again, lots of companies working on that and even the vendors themselves. So I completely agree. This would be something that would live within the EHR or that you would bolt onto the, the information within the EHR, stay on prem and just help you, you know, as a physician, um, garner a summary of their, of their record. Does that value proposition for that contribute then to less burnout? Uh, I mean, is there a direct connection between that? It's one thing operationally to say, hey, let's fix the charting fiasco. But if it's going back through and, you know, you know, you got somebody's coming in tomorrow at two, but the system's then uh, going back through all of the unstructured data and presenting you with some bit of a bit of a summary for that as you walk in, you're not looking through it for you know, forever. It feels like that's the stress part of it, of trying to figure out like what happened. Exactly what? right. You know, is that a is that a burnout? Uh, you know, quantifier. I, right I definitely there? feel it contributes for sure. You know, especially when you don't know the patient, right? So a lot of our specialists yeah. that we send patients to to help us, you know, manage something, um, they ha- they may have zero background or insight into that patient, 
for a lot of their, you know, a lot of the folks that they see. Um, and I, I do think that that's going to be one of those things that can positively contribute to uh, helping us uh, is give me that summary or even surface things that we're missing. Um, and there's even another layer that it's it's starting to predict conditions that a patient may have based on their data that they may end up developing with pretty high accuracy that humans would otherwise have no ability to, you know, to determine. So it's going to, you know, right. this is sort of the futuristic stuff, right? That, you know, based on all this information. Yeah. Oh, for sure. If you've got all this unstructured yep. data, you can look at it as a human in context of one patient. But it's very difficult to look at that. I mean, you could you could kind of get an intuition on it over time, especially if you got a you know a lot of memory in your in your human head. But it's hard to take that context and then look at it across the board for you know a hundred thousand patients and find a, a pattern in there. But that's just you know that's AI like that's exactly. easy for AI, right? And optimization of processes. You know, anytime you're trying to make a prediction, look for a pattern or optimize a process. AI, there's your friend for it right there. Um, doctors are obviously two sigma smarter than most of the people, and they can look at it in context, but they can't go read the entire set of everything that's in the in the that's EHR. Right. Uh, it's just there's just not enough time in the day, and who would want to do that anyways? I mean, you know, sometimes you got to play golf somewhere, <laughs> right? And, and even if you could read it all, it's you know we're just not set up to do that, but computers are. I mean, that seems like the dream of what the EHR was supposed to be, even going back to like the VA. Right. We were supposed to have all this data. We we're supposed to have all this stuff that was tagged. Right. And we do. And we have all this unstructured data, like so the cows come home. Um, and now it's sort of like, well, we got it. Now we maybe we are able to do that's exactly there. right. Maybe that's maybe this is the culmination of the dream. Maybe it's going to. Well, I, it's 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 the most um, positive thing we've had in a while, I think, at least most potential thing we've had in some time to like. A, do what exactly what you said, offload some of the burden, get some insights into people's health that we might not otherwise see, um, perhaps be safer. Um, you know, that's what I'm really hoping for too, is avoid some of the, the misses that we may have, but, and be more proactive in someone's healthcare instead of reactive, which is a majority of what we do today, right? right. Um, we're reacting to people's yeah. conditions and their illnesses. Um, but how do we set ourselves up to be to prevent things from happening going forward? Yeah, sounds like it could be a great amplifier, and I, I'm I'm so happy to hear the optimism uh, uh, for it. A lot of times, you know, we see a lot of uh, doom and gloom out there when it comes to these kinds of technologies, but it certainly doesn't seem like uh, that's what we're hearing uh, from you today. So I'm glad for that, and I hope everybody can kind of you know look at this as an opportunity to amplify things. Uh, you know, it, it, there, there's always going to be potentially some downsides to it, right? We have to guard against those kinds of things. We have to put the, the due diligence in place and figure out what the ethics are behind it and everything like that. But I, I, I hope uh, that the medical community itself takes that uh, by the horns and handles it, right? Rather than try to offload it to some, uh, government agency or something, because then we're, you know, we're going to have Neuralink wind up uh, writing the uh, the laws on it. Um, I would much rather have uh, all the physicians in the world figure out how to amplify their own cognition uh, 
that's the way to do it, right? Medicine as a profession with uh, AI together, you know, save it, the you know, world. It's definitely early. I think it's gonna, it all, but it's evolving, like we said early, earlier, rapidly. Um, you know, every, every week there's some new company or some new business model that's uh, being developed. And to your point, there are already in place some coalitions that are helping to help us navigate, uh, like you said, the act, the ethics, mm -hmm. the privacy, you know, and the safety of, of AI and healthcare. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today, Dr. J. Yeah, my Appreciate pleasure. It. Thanks for having me. Okay, maybe we'll uh, we should circle back in a few months and see if any of these predictions Sounds come great. true. All right, thank you.